you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. This is the third and final message in this series, Sovereign Salvation. And I think it would be well for us to reread this section, even though this is the third and final time we'll be looking at verses 3 to 14. I think it would be well for us if you would follow along as I read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now, I have been mentioning in this series, and I want to echo a mention of this again, there are several key phrases that speak to us of what's going on in our sovereign salvation. And if you look again at verse 4, you see this phrase, He chose us in Him. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption. Verse 11, in Him we have obtained an inheritance. And verse 13, in Him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So we have, according to verse 4, an election, a choosing by God the Father. Verse 7, a redemption by Christ. Verse 11, the obtaining of an inheritance. And verse 13, a sealing with the Spirit. And if you listened carefully, you heard the entire work of the triune God. In verse 4, Paul tells us that the Father elects us to this salvation before the foundation of the world. In verse 7, he tells us that God the Son redeems us through His shed blood, granting us the forgiveness of sins. And you see, as we study tonight, verse 13, that Paul tells us that God the Holy Spirit seals us in our salvation by granting us an eternal, uh, an eternal inheritance in which we'll one day take full and complete 
possession of. This is our great salvation. And that's why it was so appropriate for us to praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Holy Ghost, who have all had a part in our salvation. And what a great salvation it is. Now what I've been doing in the first two parts of this series and will continue tonight is to give you four outline points in verses 11 to 14 and ask two questions each in these outline points. They are catechism questions. They're questions that really Paul is instructing us to ask and then he answers. And the first tonight, the first outline point is this, the possessed reception we have in this sovereign salvation is predestined inheritance. The possessed reception that we have in this sovereign salvation is predestined inheritance. Look with me at verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 1. And we have immediately a question on our minds. What have we obtained in this sovereign salvation? And the answer is this, an inheritance having been predestined. Do you see it listed there for us in verse 11? In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined. That's the answer to the question. What is it that we have obtained? And the answer, God has predestined us, and we've, we've heard that word before. We heard of it back up in verse 5. He predestined us, and he's predestining us to something else, and that is an inheritance. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined. That is predestined for it. Paul is telling us that as a result of God's electing grace and as a result of the basis of what Christ did through his blood, having forgiven us all our transgressions, we now have been granted something. Or maybe even better yet, the sense of this verse, verse 11, is that we are something. We are something. It's not just that we have received or obtained something. The Bible is actually telling us here, because it's in the Eros passive, that we have been granted something or that we are something. And what is it that we are according to verse 11? Here's the answer. We actually are God's very possession. We are God's inheritance. When you think of receiving an inheritance or even that word obtained an inheritance, it makes it sound like it's something that we receive. And of course, we do receive this salvation from God's gracious hand. But really, what we are by God's electing grace through the redemptive blood of Christ is that we are actually brought by Christ to the Father and we actually become God's own very possession. It's not just that we receive something. Of course we do. We receive eternal life. We receive grace. We receive faith. We receive a reward. Uh, We're going to go to heaven. Uh, We are going to receive eternal life. All of those things are true. But what Paul seems to be saying here is that we are predestined by God to be God's very possession, his inheritance. Isn't that a great thought? That when we were reconciled to God through the blood of his son, we became God's very inheritance. 
That's what he's receiving from the salvation of the Son. And that's what we are. We are God's possession. You remember when I said in the first message, according to verse 3, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, in order that we should be holy and blameless before him. We receive this salvation so that we might be holy and blameless. The word holy is the idea that God sets us apart for his exclusive use. And according to verse 11 here, that use is that we are progressively made into the image of Jesus Christ and become this full and complete possession of God in holiness and in righteousness. What a thought. Look at Titus, the book of Titus, and you'll see this very concept taught by Paul to Titus regarding we as believers in Christ being God's possession. Titus chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 3. This is, this is a marvelous truth of what God gives to us, of grant, uh, God grants to us. I'm sorry, chapter two of Titus, verse 13. It says, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus Christ do? Verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's what you and I are saved for. Oh, it's certainly true that we're saved for the purpose of, of gaining heaven and avoiding hell. That's true. That's what we receive. But what is it that we are to God? We are given to God by Christ, redeemed from our lawless deeds, being purified for himself as a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's what we have been predestined by God to do, to be. To be zealous, to be a people for his own possession. We're God's own. 1 Corinthians 6.20, we're bought with a price. God redeemed us. God purchased us by this precious blood of Christ. You can see it again also in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It is our predestined destiny to be God's own possession, God's own people. Now, it may not be fashionable to say, I am bought with a price, I'm somebody else's, I'm not owned by myself, I don't control my destiny, but for Christians, it's a sweet harmony. For Christians, it's what we are. We have been purchased by Christ, and in 1 Peter 2.9, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. 
Don't miss that. A people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Yes, we've obtained an inheritance. We're going to receive God's booty, God's riches. But the the main point that, that Paul wants to show us here is that we are that possession. We are that inheritance. That's the first question of this verse. What have we obtained? We've obtained an inheritance, but more than that, we are that inheritance. And we've been predestined for it. Before the foundation of the world, God marked us out, predetermined our path. And that predetermination was so that we could be a group of people saved out of the world in our hopeless condition and presented to God as this exclusive possession so that God might be glorified in and by us. What a reality. And here's the second question of this verse. How was this inheritance of ours given to us? Notice what Paul says. According to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And I've mentioned to you before because that phrase has been mentioned several times in this great context of salvation. Why would God do this? Because he wanted to. Why did he want to? Because it was his will. Why was it his will? Because he loved us. Why did he love us? Why did he love us? Because it was his will. Why was it his will? Because he wanted to. Why did he want to? Because it is to the praise of his glory. It's these reciprocal statements over and over and over again according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And by the way, don't miss this. It says he works all things according to the counsel of his will. That word work in the Greek text is really from which uh, word we get the concept of energy. God is, is energized. God is working. In fact, look at chapter 1, verse 20. According to the working of his great might, verse 19, that he worked in Christ. In fact, even go back up to verse 19 and you'll see another one of those work words, power. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. There's a lot of work going on. There's a lot of power. There's a lot of energy. And God is working all of these things to their intended end. He even says in chapter 3, verse 20, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. 
God is at work. And God worked this powerful work, so much so that in order to secure us, this power of God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's, that's the amazing power of God. And it was according, Paul says, to the counsel of his will. Four times this has been mentioned. Look back at these passages. You can see these listed here. Look at verse 5. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose. Verse 11, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God deliberates, God determines, and God does what he purposes to do, bringing to pass whatsoever he willeth. Why? Because God wants to show us something. The marvel of our salvation, the determination of God to do it, the counsel of his will, the power of his might. This is no fly-by-night plan. This is no haphazard reality. This is God working through his power, working his, his work of grace in our souls after the counsel of his will. This is the This is the possessed reception of the believer. You and I possess this. This is ours. Have you ever sat in your bed in the nighttime when everything is quiet and ask yourself the question, why, Lord? Why would you choose me? Why would you grant me this salvation and not someone else? Why me? And if you read scripture, and if you study scripture like this, you'll you'll have undoubtedly the refrain in your heart because it was according to his will. It was according to his power. It was by his grace. It was for his glory. This This is my possessed reception, Lord, and I'm so grateful for it. This is this inheritance, not that I just have, but that I am. I'm yours, You possess me. You from before the foundation of the world set your love upon me. You chose me in Christ so that through that relationship with Christ and through what he did on that cross, I would have not only the forgiveness of my trespasses, but I would be your very exclusive possession. What a thought in the night watches that God possesses us eternally and that we have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. What a possession. And what a glory it is to be possessed by God. It's not just that I'm glorying in the fact that that I belong to Christ. The glory is far greater that Christ is mine and that he possesses me, that he loves me with an everlasting love. That's the first of our four points tonight. The second is much like it. The pronounced renown. The pronounced renown we have in this sovereign salvation is our hope in Christ. Verse 12. Verse 12. So that we would 
be the first to hope in Christ and that we might be to the praise of his glory. What's the first question? What's the catechism about our salvation according to verse 12? Who receives this inheritance? Who's, who is God's possession? Here's the answer. We who were the first to hope in Christ. Now, of course, it's talking about the Ephesians. It's talking about those first century Christians. They, of course, were the first to hope in Christ. But really, since Paul brings it all the way back to before the foundation of the world, it's every single person, not just those in the first century and even not just those uh, in the 21st century, but also all of those who were saved by Christ. You know, even those Old Testament saints were, were elected by God to be in Christ. And of course, yes, it was before the cross, just as our salvation is seen from the point of view from the cross forward, but everybody who is, who is eternally secure is eternally secure in Christ, even those Old Testament saints, even we who are those new covenant saints, because according to this, everybody who is first to hope in Christ, and that is everybody, has a pronounced renown. And what is that? It's our hope, our hope in Christ. That's the renown. That's the renown of it all, that we are the ones who are hoping in Christ. Not just hoped in Christ, past tense, but we continue to hope in Christ. This is how Paul says it to the Colossians in Colossians 1.5. He says in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You see that triad of Christian virtues there? Faith, love, love and hope. So in this parallel passage, speaks of hope. Hope in Christ. That's what we hope for. We're not hoping in a dead Savior. We're hoping in a living Savior whom God raised from the dead and our eternal hope, our present hope, our future hope is in Christ. We who are the first to hope in Christ. They are those who are God's inheritance. We are those who are God's inheritance. And the second question, what should be our response to this hope in Christ? What's the answer? To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. It never gets old. Never gets old. You know, in this particular 202 Greek word, one long sentence, Paul says repeatedly, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glorious grace, verse six, the riches of his grace, verse seven. And now, so that we might be those who were the first to hope in Christ and that we might be to the praise of his glory. And even says it at the end, to the praise of his glory. Is that the kind of hope that you have is that your hope? Oh, I trust that it is because that's why you're here. Even on an evening like this, 
when the world follows after something else, when the world is in tune to something else, you and I are here because we have placed our hope, our confidence in Christ, and we are here because it says we are brought together for the praise of his glory. The praise of his glory. That's why we sing. That's why we pray. That's why we work. I was thinking about this this afternoon. I came early to the church uh, this morning. Uh, We're going to be here until the, the later hours of the night cleaning up. And when I see people just scurrying around who are preparing meal, who are handing out hymnals, who are sweeping the courtyard, who are turning on and turning off lights, people who are folding chairs, people who are folding tables, people who are singing praises to God, people who are fellowshipping together, people who are sharing a meal, people who are laughing because of our joy in the Lord. And then late tonight, we'll pillow all of our heads and we'll say, what a great day it was. What a great day it was. Listening, believing, praising, praying to the God of our salvation. This is what we live for. This is why we gather together. This is, this is who we are. We're those who've been, who've been captured by Christ. He's the, the essence of our joy. He's the one who gives us this praise. And what are we praising? We're praising his glory, the glory of the salvation that we've been granted in Christ. This is the, this is the pronounced renown of it all. This is, this is our putting the renown of our God and his salvation on display so that everyone around us could marvel at what he's done in our lives. Every person who gives a testimony, Every, every person who prays a prayer of thankfulness to God in this place is giving evidence of the praise of his glory. When, when you say to yourself, God, why did you choose me? How could it have been before the foundation of the world? For surely if you had looked at my life, you would not have wanted to choose me. But when you chose me and when you gave me this this electing grace, you knew that it would redound to your glory, to your praise, to your renown because when we are really looking at our salvation for what it truly is, we can't help but praise God for what he's done in our lives. Isn't that true? This This is his grace that we're praising. And this is the renown that is so pronounced in our hearts. The world knows nothing of this. The world knows nothing of this. They think we're crazy. They think when we, when we praise God, when we pray to him, when we converse about him, that we are just one-trick ponies. That that's, that's all we think about. And our answer is, oh, we think about our families, we think about our lives, we think about our jobs, we think about our schools, we think about our lives for the present and for the future, but it's never without thinking of what Christ has done in giving us all of this. He's blessed us so much. So number one, the possessed reception. Number two, the pronounced renowned. 
And number three, the pledged rewarder. The pledged rewarder. Look at verse 13 in the first part of verse 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. What's the first catechism question? What else happened in my salvation? And here's the answer. The sealing of the promised Holy Spirit. This is that third member of the triune triune persons of the Godhead. The Father elects. We saw that in verse 4. In verse 7, we have redemption through the blood of Christ. And now, through the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, we've been sealed with his promise. And what seal is that? It's the seal that we are possessed by God and that as his inheritance, we will receive all that's coming to us in this eternal salvation and that the Holy Spirit has guaranteed that we will be preserved forever and ever in Christ. That's the sealing of the Spirit. Look at chapter 2, and you'll see this as we work our way through. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of what? Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's that's the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Christ made us alive by the power of the Spirit to the realities of of our spiritual condition, and by grace he saved us and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them." That's the the sweep of our redemption. We were lost. We were dead in our trespasses. We were the sons of disobedience. We lived in the passions of our flesh. We were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. And then in a moment, we were made alive together with Christ. The Holy Spirit quickened our souls He awakened us to the reality of our position, that we were dead. Do you remember that time? Do you remember the very point when God opened your eyes? You say, well, I I don't know that I can remember a specific point in time, but at least a series of moments as you were 
being awakened by the Holy Spirit and you were coming to grips with the truth that you were a sinner. And when God opened your eyes to the truth of that sinful wrath, that, 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 that sin of the body and the mind, he says, carrying out those desires. And when God quickened you and opened you to the truth of your spiritual condition, and then he placed in your heart this understanding of his grace in kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. And then you woke up to the reality like he says here in verse eight, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's the gift of God's grace. The, the Father elected me. The Son redeemed me and the Holy Spirit sealed me by his power so that I would one day actually be possessed by God fully and completely without sin whatsoever. Even from the presence of sin, I am sealed, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit. In chapter 4, Verse 30, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And what day will that be? The day when your redemption will be full and complete. Philippians 1.6, for, for this is what God is doing. He will not stop at anything until he presents you on that day and that completed work will have happened and you and I will be totally and completely redeemed. No sin whatsoever will be in our hearts. None. The plague of even remaining sin, even for the believer, seems to dog our every step. But at that day and at that hour, complete redemption, complete redemption, and the Holy Spirit will have sealed us permanently so that as a garrison of truth, as the sealer of our hearts, we will never again sin against God or against our neighbor. Now that's the kind of sealing I want to experience. Look in your Bibles at 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 22. Verse 21 says, It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. As a guarantee. That's what he says here in chapter 1. Sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire full possession of it. That word guarantee is the word Erebon. And it means that the Holy Spirit is the down payment. He's the, he's the guarantor. He, he's the, the signatory on the note that makes sure beyond the shadow of doubt that you go from this place of being redeemed to that place 
when you are being perfectly redeemed. He's the guarantee. He's the down payment. He's the promise. And what God promises, he never lies. Never lies. This is, this is Romans 8 all over again, isn't it? Romans chapter 8. This is, this is the, the cherished truth of the Holy Spirit who according to Romans chapter 8, verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you are guaranteed that this promise of His that He is your down payment and when you get to heaven, that full redemption will be that full and complete sealing that is experienced in that moment that has begun right now. That's why Romans 8, 31 to 38 closes as it does. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us in the first part of chapter 8, and Jesus Christ intercedes for us so that we will never, ever be separated from the love of Christ. God seals us for the day of that full and complete redemption. This security is so sure that the Holy Spirit is said to be the guarantee, the down payment, the pledge of our inheritance so that we are all safely secure and brought safely and securely as that possession of God so much so that Jesus said, in John 17, in that great high priestly prayer, out of these that you have given me, I have lost how many? None of them. I've lost not one. Judas being the son of perdition and was predestined for that place and out of all of those who've been predestined for glory, for complete redemption, for full redemption, the guarantee, the pledge, the Erebon is the Holy Spirit and he will bring it to pass. That, my friends, is the pledged rewarder. He is going to reward us on that day and he will be yours and my reward on that day because we'll be sealed up in him to the degree that there will be no sin in us anymore. Oh, I want that day. Do you want that day? That's why we end with the fourth and final point tonight. The praiseworthy recipient. The praiseworthy recipient in this sovereign salvation, and that's God's Trinitarian glory. Look at the last phrase of verse 14. Who is to be praised in this sovereign salvation? To the praise of His glory. Is it any wonder that all of us must, shall, desire to praise and worship and adore and magnify this Trinitarian Godhead. What's the role of the Trinity? I've said it several times tonight. The Father elects us, the Son redeems us, and the Holy Spirit seals us. This is this, is this wonderful, perfect picture of what we'll be doing perfectly in heaven. And what shall that be? Praising His glory. Praising His glory. In fact, maybe we should end there in Revelation chapter 4 as we do the very same thing 
that they are doing and will yet do. You see it in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Look at chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Verse 13, and I heard every creature, John says, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in, the, in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. And that's what we ought to do right now. Let's bow together. We worship you, Father. We worship you through the Son for his great redemption of our souls. And we worship the Holy Spirit who is this promised sealer who's the down payment the pledge the guarantor that we would be your inheritance your personal possession and father we we can but in a faulting futile way but it's the only way we have to say we thank you, we praise you, we honor you. Thank you for being everything for us. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for this sovereign salvation to which we can now sing and praise you forever. Amen and amen.